Hello, this is Jennifer Wolf Horsch, Executive Director of the International Association of Industrial Accident Boards and Commissions, or the IAIABC for short. You're listening to the IAIABC's podcast, Accidentally, where we discuss issues and events that impact workers' compensation programs. During Accidentally, I ask thought-provoking questions, raise awareness of emerging issues, and offer insights on workers' compensation. My hope is to make you think about workers' comp in a different way. You can subscribe to our monthly podcasts on iTunes or find them at iaiabc.org slash podcast. This week, the U.S. stock market dropped 1,175 points in a single day. News alerts describe the drop as the worst single-day point decline in history, which sent many of us checking our portfolios and wondering if we should make changes to our investment accounts. The headlines in workers' compensation recently have also noted a decline namely the declining frequency of injuries and illnesses in U.S. workplaces. This decline is not as dramatic as the stock market. Instead, it's been a steady decline seen for the past several decades. And while both of these declines are interesting, I'm going to stick to workers' compensation today. Although, I would be remiss to say the stock market dip deserves some context The percentage loss on that day, 4.6%, wasn't anywhere close to a record. But the decline in workplace fatalities and injuries is good news. Workers are at less risk for physical injury and financial uncertainty. Employers have declining workers' compensation costs and, more importantly, stability in their workforce. Extended across the entire labor force, these benefits support economic growth and community strength. Injury frequency declines have also been accompanied with premium rate declines. In 2018, states across the United States have seen premium rate decreases, many in the double digits. However, Declining claim frequency may be bad for the workers' compensation industry, or at least its balance sheet. Less claims means less need for services in the claims process. Beyond medical providers, think vendors and attorneys and technology companies. If there are less need for services there are less need for those kinds of businesses. And I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's certainly the future that some are forecasting. But what if? What if we flipped the conversation? What if instead of looking for cost savings from a smaller and smaller number of claims, we instead looked at expanding coverage? This is the real opportunity and comes with the most meaningful benefits to individuals, to businesses, and society. 
Workers' compensation insurance is compulsory across the United States, with one big exception, Texas. And that may lead many of us outside of the industry to believe that the entire workforce is covered. But compulsory workers' compensation requirements are only for employees, and there are still many exclusions which exist across the country. If we go back to the beginning, many of the first workers' compensation laws in the United States were voluntary programs. It was the voluntary nature of Wisconsin's law which allowed it to pass constitutional threat in 1911. However, the system moved over the next 50 years from voluntary to compulsory programs. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Compulsory programs create equity across businesses and employees. They also alleviate the need for other social insurance programs to bear the cost of work injuries or illnesses. And while compulsory in law, and some might say in theory, many jurisdictions have employee coverage exclusions. Some of the most common exclusions are for small employers, three employees or less, agricultural workers, and domestic workers. Independent contractors are almost always excluded from coverage requirements. The debate between employee and independent contractor has gotten even hotter in the past few years. We're especially seeing this as platforms, think handy or TaskRabbit, have consistently classified workers as independent contractors, or my favorite, as micro-entrepreneurs, which has led to many lawsuits, and there are ongoing legislative efforts to codify independent contractor status in many jurisdictions across the country. And although this is the most recent debate, employment relationships have been changing within our workforce for more than 30 years. For example, we talk about employees or workers in casual work, temporary work, as independent contractors, as leased employees or leased workers, or co-employment relationships. And these changes in our workforce have rarely been reflected in labor or workers' compensation law. There are many estimates of the percentage of workers in non-standard work arrangements, but most of the estimates come to the conclusion that between 8 to 18% of the total workforce in the U.S. is in non-standard work arrangements. If you're interested in learning more about those estimates, John Howard's article, Non-Standard Work Arrangements and worker health and safety, which was published in the January 2017 issue of the American Journal of Industrial Medicine, is an excellent overview. You'll also find a link to that report on the podcast page. If we extend workers' compensation coverage to all workers in those non-standard work arrangements, that would be good 
for the workers' compensation industry. It would significantly boost premiums and increase the need for claim services. And best of all, it would protect some of the nation's most vulnerable workers, creating a fiscally responsible safety net for work injuries and illnesses. The public policy question is really simple. Is universal coverage desirable? And if so, the conversation and the solutions must be focused on workers, irrespective of classification status. We see the beginning of these conversations happening with proposals related to portable benefits. But in the opposite policy direction, there are legislative efforts to clearly define platform workers as independent contractors and therefore not subject to workers' compensation coverage requirements. The work injury and illness declines that we're seeing in our workplaces are good news. However, there is certainty that injuries, illnesses, and even deaths are going to occur within the workplace. Whether that's acceptable and how we create goals around prevention are a topic for another podcast. But public policy for more than 100 years in the United States has argued workers' compensation is an appropriate safety net for employees that are impacted by a work injury or illness. That safety net does not exist for a growing number of workers. Universal coverage. Universal coverage has the opportunity to be, in the words of Michael Scott, a win, win, win. Workers win by gaining a measure of financial and medical stability. Businesses win by the creation of a more equitable business environment as the misclassification advantage is lost. And workers' compensation wins by gaining new business. And the fourth win, the one I probably care the most important about, workers and businesses that are more secure contribute to a healthier society. Getting there won't happen overnight, and it's going to require us to rethink current models. But universal coverage, truly universal coverage, is an important conversation to begin. I'd like to thank you for listening to Accidentally, the IAIABC's monthly podcast series. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes or find us at iaiabc.org slash podcast. I really enjoy hearing your feedback. You can write me at jwolf at iaiabc.org. Cheers, Jennifer.